Amen. Wow, what a powerful time of worship, isn't it? That was awesome. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? That was amazing. Well, uh, thank you for being here this morning. We're on our last week of a, a series uh, in the middle of called Forgotten Conversation. And I wanted to start this morning by sharing a grievance with you. I don't know if you've ever felt this, but every once in a while, you know, you have a grievance about something. I want to show you a grievance, a personal grievance that I have. Uh, and I can literally show you this on the screens. It's this thing right here, right? Y'all ever had this before? Like, I've had it before. You'll be texting someone, and all of a sudden, after you send your little text, you'll get like this underneath your text, and it's like, you know, Joe is typing, and, you know, it, that's what it's supposed to mean. It would be sitting there like that, and the worst part about it, the worst part of the grievance is when this appears for just a minute, and then all of a sudden it disappears, and there's no text that comes through. Like, that annoys the snot out of me, right? It's, it's something that's frustrating. Or what about the busy signal, right? Like, you get on the phone to call, like, a, a, a business or something to find out if they're open. This happened the other day. I was calling an ice cream place out of all places to see if they were open so I could go get a milkshake. And I call them, and I hear, eh, eh, eh. Now I'm like, this is 2024. How do we still have busy signals in the world, Right? The worst thing out of all of them happened this week. And if this has ever happened to you, I'm sorry. And if you're in the room today and you're the person this happened with, I'm really sorry for bringing this up. Maybe you didn't even know this happened. Uh, but yes, like three days ago, uh, I was in my car and I was stopped at a stoplight. And I'm sitting at a stoplight and I look in my rearview mirror and I notice the person behind me. It's somebody that I know and that I'm friends with, or at least I thought I was friends with them. And I thought, you know, I haven't talked to this person in a while. And just the fact that if you get a phone call from me, that's, that's saying something because I hate to talk on the phone. But I thought, I'm going to call this person. So I dialed their little number. I have them right there on my contacts. So I dialed their number, and I, and I put the phone to my ear, and I'm just looking in the rearview mirror. And you know what they do? They look at the phone, and they go. <laughs> it's like, man, like... That's the worst, isn't it? It's the worst when stuff like that happens, when you just can't seem to communicate to the person that you want to communicate with. And, and really, this is what this last week is about, because I believe that just as we all deal with the frustration of things like this and things like busy signals and things like thinking someone doesn't want to talk to us, just like we deal with that in normal conversation, I think for some of us, we deal with that on our level of prayer. And sometimes it feels like, it feels like God's giving us the little dot, 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 thinking and hopeful that something's going to come through, and then all of a sudden it just disappears. Or maybe it's where, you know, you feel like you're getting the busy signal from God. Or maybe it's that, that even worse insult where you feel like he's hearing you, but he's not responding. Today I want to talk about that. So if you have your Bibles, turn them back to Matthew chapter 6. We've been in Matthew chapter 6 uh, this entire time together. And uh, this week, uh, we're going to finish the, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6 there. Um, and, and what we've been saying about prayer is kind of important for us to talk about. So I lost my... I had a sticker here. Oh, there it is. Okay. 
uh, Matthew chapter 6. I want to talk for just a minute. We've said this the last few weeks. So if you haven't been here in the last two weeks, I'm going to give you a little review. I want to encourage you to go back and watch the other uh, messages so this can kind of make more sense to you. But in Matthew chapter 6, here's some things we've said. We've said that prayer is not an elective. I'm going to move this mic stand. Prayer is not an elective. It's not something uh, that we just kind of decide, oh, maybe I'll do this, maybe I won't. No, it's something that's kind of expected for you as a believer in Christ. It's also not a performance. It's not something we do just to look super spiritual in front of our church friends. Prayer's not a magic lamp. It's not just something we do to get what we want from God. It's not these things. Instead, prayer is a relationship conversation with God. It's not just getting what we want from God. It's not transactional. It's not like an ATM machine where we go put in a little code or some magic little phrasing that we give to God to get what we want from God. It's not an ATM booth. It's more like this old school phone booth, right? It's this opportunity that we have to go and communicate with God Almighty. And we don't need a wooden box to do that, but it's this mental picture of a time and place where we're able to communicate with God Almighty. That prayer is not a button to be pushed, it's a relationship to be pursued where we would first create a space, where we create a space, both physical and mental, a place that we can go whether it's in our home, whether it's just somewhere where we can go and get alone and get away from everything else going on in the world and hear from God. And for some of us, you know, we're really good at the Hail Mary prayer. You know what I'm talking about? Like not the Catholic Hail Mary prayer, but the, but the prayer of like, man, I just need some help right now. We're really good at those kind of prayers. But what about the time where we intentionally take time creating a space, both physical and and mental to get alone with God. We create a space next. We make it personal. The the prayer starts out, the Lord's prayer starts out, uh, our God, our Father, right? This idea that our Father is who we're talking to. It's not some distant or disconnected God from from our experience. No, this is a loving Father, a son or a daughter, if you're a believer in Christ, talking to a loving father. So we create a space. We make it personal. We start with worship. We worship him for who he is, and we worship him for what he's done, like redemption, salvation, uh, all the blessings he's given us. These are things we worship him for. Then we align with his plans. We align with his plans. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That The purpose of prayer is not to persuade God so he can do my will. The purpose of prayer is to know God so I can do his will. Like when I'm going into my prayer time, it's not so I can get God to do what I want him to do. No, it's for me to know him better so I can do what he wants me to do. We're aligning with his plans. And and, and the last thing we said last week is that we are to ask freely. We're to ask Freely, this idea of boldness as we approach God with our requests. Reverence, yes, absolutely, but boldness as well. We're to ask freely, we're to ask frequently that that prayer is not just confined 
into one small part of our day that we're, yeah, we're spending time here, but we're walking out of our prayer closet, coming out with talking to God frequently throughout the day. That it's not just a geographical location where we talk to God. No, it's a part of our everyday life. We're walking out, talking to God throughout our entire day. Ask freely, ask frequently, and ask faithfully. That prayer is more than just something you do. It's a way of life that, tr- that we are trusting in the perfect Father who can call all and calm all anxiety and bring us ultimate peace as we walk through life. And so I want to read uh, everything that we've shared so far. And I want to invite you to read this with me in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's take a moment here and let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, God, for this assembly, for this group of believers who love you. God, I'm so thankful, Lord, that we get together and that we get to like read your word and spend time with you, God, not just hearing your word, but hopefully doing your word, Lord. And God, I just pray as we go through our day today, Lord, that we would be fixated and focused on you, that we would put all the distractions aside as we're in this time together, Lord. And Father, I pray, God, that in this time, we can just spend some time hearing from you and applying your word to our lives. God, we thank you for all of these things. In your name we pray. Amen. Does it ever feel like this when we pray? Like, I know, the minute I started doing this, some of you were immediately annoyed, right? I was annoyed as I was doing it. And, and, and here's where I'm at with this. For some of us, when we pray, it literally feels like we're hitting a wall. It's like we're bouncing our prayers off of a brick wall and they're going nowhere. And for some of us, like, it's kind of funny. Like, it's a funny thing to think about. Like, oh, Jonathan's got a brick wall illustration. Yay. But for some of us, let's be honest. Like, this is a real feeling. It's a real thing. And for some of us, even going into our prayer closet, like, for a lot of us, it feels more like this. Like, we've taken this wall, or there's this wall that covers our time with God. It's a real feeling. It's something that bothers us. And for a lot of us, this is what it looks like. Like when we're talking about this and you're sitting here and you're hearing all these messages on prayer, at the, at the basic level, for some of you are thinking, yeah, it'd be nice, but if spiritually, if I could peer into your life for a minute, for some of you, it feels like this. It feels like this. there's this giant wall 
between you and God. And I want to talk about that this morning. So look at that outline again there. We create space. We make it personal. We start with worship. We align with his plans. We ask frequently, freely, and faithfully. And the last point I want to give us is this, that we remove the walls. We remove the walls in our conversation to God. If you look at these next few verses, it's interesting how God uses this. Because if we would just do what the next few verses tell us to do, we will not have walls in our life. But for many of us, there is a wall that's hindering our conversation with God. And so I want us to look at these next few verses together. Look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts. Forgive us, Lord, our debts. This word can actually translate the word sin. It's not really talking about a financial debt. It's talking about actual sin that we have in our lives, that each of us in this room, whether you're a believer or not, you owe God. Like you owe God. The way a creation owes a creator, we all owe God. Much more than that, we owe him because there was a sin debt in our lives that we were unable to pay. And we owe God this debt. And for some of you, the wall in your prayer life is a wall of unrepentance. Unrepentance. Now remember, when Jesus is giving us the Sermon on the Mount here, he's talking mainly to people who are following him. Think about how the prayer begins. Our Father, right? He's talking about a son or a daughter talking to God. This is a prayer for a disciple. It's not a prayer for an unbeliever. But here's what we know is true. What we know is that what's true for an unbeliever and what's true for a believer is that forgiveness changes everything. In fact, if you look at this prayer and you look at everything that Jesus says in the context of prayer, the word forgive is going to be the theme of the whole prayer. And for a lot of us, that's something we got to think through. That for an unbeliever, if you're an unbeliever in this room, here it is. Forgiveness for you. Forgiveness brings relationship with God. If you're an unbeliever in this room, forgiveness brings relationship with God. With God, that if you are lost today, God wants to offer you His forgiveness in your life. He wants to offer that forgiveness in your life. And for the first time today, you can start a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is powerful. Like, that's amazing. For the, for the unbeliever, forgiveness brings relationship. But for a believer, forgiveness brings fellowship. Because for a believer, your relationship is not. At stake, like your relationship with God is secured in Christ, but your fellowship could be really messed up if forgiveness doesn't play a part. You cannot punk God, right? Lord, I just praise you because of how great you are and how wonderful you are, and now I'm going to go over here and do my little sin. Now I'm going to go over here and do my little thing. I'm going to, I'm going to pray great, and I'm going to hide this sin in my life, this unconfessed sin. I'm going to hide it away. It doesn't work that way. He knows all of it. You can hide things from your church people. You can hide things from your friends. You can hide things from your employees, your coworkers. You can hide things from your employer. 
You can hide things from your kids, and some of you are even hiding things from your spouse. But you cannot hide one thing from God. Not one thing. And our sin can sure create a serious wall in some of our lives. And here's how I know this to be true. Because for some of us that maybe have unconfessed sin or unrepentant sin in our life, here's what's true. Our prayer life is, is a miserable place. Because we are trying to fool God and ultimately we are fooling ourselves. In fact, for some of you, the reason your prayer life is so anemic and so small and so short-sighted is because you know and he knows and you both know that you're fooling one another, that you're trying to fool God. And for some of you, like, you don't pray because you know the minute you start praying, that conviction of that sin pattern in your life is going to be glaring right at you. And it's created a wall between you and God. It's created this. Psalm 66, 18 says this. If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not listen. If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not listen. Our hidden and unconfessed sin has a power to sever fellowship with him, it degrades our time and intimacy with him. So Jesus is saying, make confession a staple in your prayers. Lord, I do love you, and you're amazing. But if I could be real honest with you, Lord, there's this other thing over here that I also love. And Lord, I don't want to love this anymore. I just want to love you. This is what confession looks like. That confession should be spontaneous. It shouldn't be something you wait to at the beginning of the day or at the end of the week to confess. No, it should be immediate. It should be, Lord, I, I want to submit to your authority. Lord, I want to confess this thing that's in my life, and I want to do that right here and now. You don't have to wait to the end of this message to do that right now. If the Lord is, is convicting you right now about a sin, right now is the time to pray and ask Lord to forgive you and to cleanse you from that sin. It should be spontaneous. It should be specific. You sin specifically, so we need to confess specifically. It's not just a blanket statement of, Lord, just forgive me of all the sins I'll ever do. And I, no, 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 no. We are confessing specifically. We are getting on the same page with God about how awful our sin pattern is. So it's spontaneous, it's specific, it's sincere, and ultimately it should lead to repentance in our life. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love this idea, this idea of confession and repentance, that the words, I'm sorry, are a formal declaration of intent. Change behavior, repentance, is the actual apology. That it's more than words, it's a changed behavior, a changed lifestyle, a, a, a step in a direction of obedience towards God. This is what he desires in our prayer time. That confession and repentance open the lines of communication back up. And for some of us, maybe this is your wall today. The wall of unrepentance. Look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors, those who owe us. While you, God, are forgiving us, we're going to turn around and forgive others. That's essentially what this prayer is saying. Some struggle in prayer with a wall of bitterness. A wall of bitterness. Bitterness sets up when there is unforgiveness in our hearts. Jesus actually is going to go on to flesh this out in verses 14 and 15, right there in Matthew 6. Look at what he says. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, here's something to understand. This doesn't imply, because remember, he's writing this to disciples, to followers of him. This does not imply that we can lose ultimate forgiveness of our sins through Jesus' death and our relationship with him. It's not salvation through the ability to forgive. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's making a statement here that basically says this. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. Our supernatural ability to forgive someone else is an evidence that Christ does indeed live inside of us Because who could truly forgive without him working through us? Jesus is saying here, hey, if you're a true follower of mine, you're going to have a spirit of forgiveness. It doesn't mean you're going to immediately forgive every time because we're, we're struggling with the flesh, right? But what it does mean is that for those of us who understand the depths of God's love in that while we were gross sinners... He died for us and gave us his grace. To that same level, we understand that it enables us supernaturally to forgive others around us. That your relationship with earthly people affects your relationship with your heavenly father. This might actually make sense to some of you parents. And my kids are going to be in the next gathering and I'll probably embarrass them in this one as well. But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your, your, your sons and daughters, they start yapping at each other. Your grandkids start fighting, right? Parents, your, grand, your kids start fighting. They start yelling, he did this and she did that and blah, 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 blah. And then like five minutes later, they come to you and say, hey, can we have a friend over? Can we stay up late tonight? What's the answer? Nope. Why? Because you're not doing what I've asked you to do in this family. You're not loving your brothers well. This is what Jesus is saying here. It's the same principle that your relationship with people directly correlates to your relationship with God the Father. And for some of us, man, we will, we will be brick masons of unforgiveness in our lives right? I mean, we will build brick by brick. We will be the ones to put up the bricks. And what we think we're doing is we're bricking up and we're shielding ourselves from someone else. We're blocking that other person. And really who we're blocking is God. We're not blocking the other person. We're blocking God. And for some of us, man, we, we harbor bitterness. We harbor unforgiveness in our lives. And we are brick by brick building the wall that's separating fellowship between us and God. 
Look at the chapter just before. It might be even on the same page of your Bible. In Matthew 5, Jesus says this in verse 23. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Did you catch that? If, if you recognize, if you're going to the altar to worship, right? That's why you would go to an altar in Jewish times, to worship God, to pray. If you're going to do that and remember, not that you have something against someone else. Jesus takes it a step further here, doesn't he? He doesn't just say, if you have something against someone else. No, he says, and you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. Leave the gift and go try to make it right. Now, does that mean it's going to happen? Does that mean reconciliation is absolutely going to happen? No, but it's the attempt that we make to tear down walls of bitterness and unforgiveness in our lives. I can't be in God's presence and in communion with him and thank him for the richness of his grace if I'm withholding that same grace from someone else. We're going to leave our prayer time and we're going to have a list of people we need to make right with. And man, if we're allowing God's spirit to work in our prayers, it's going to be a time and an opportunity. Every time we go into our prayer closet or every time we're driving down the road and we're spending time praying to God, it could very well be that the Lord will prompt you. You need to go make that right. You need to go make that right. You need to go make that right. And when we choose to do that, it begins to dismantle the wall of bitterness in our lives. And for some of you, this is where you're at. Your prayers are hindered because of this. In fact, 1 Peter 3, 7 goes on to tell us that men, men in the room, men that mistreat your wives, your, your prayers are hindered for the things that you speak to your wife and the things that you say against her. God takes this very seriously. So look at verse 12 again. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're receiving God's forgiveness by confessing sin and repenting of that sin. We are giving out freely forgiveness to others. And then verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this is an interesting line in the prayer because can God really tempt us? James 1, 13, it's going to be on the screen. It says this. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So the answer to the question is no. God cannot tempt us. So, so why ask God to not do what he would never do anyway? Right? Like, that's weird, right? We're, we're asking God to not do something that he wouldn't do anyway. I, it kind of reminds me like when, when my, my firstborn son, Will, he's 15 now. I remember when he was like four years old and he was doing the, the son thing and went to help daddy with a little project around the house. And I had, I had my hammer out and I, I can't remember, it was something small like hanging a picture. And I remember hammering the, 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 the nail into the wall and I remember him looking at me saying, Dad, don't hit me with that hammer. 
okay, son, I'm not going to hit you with, like, what kid thinks about his dad hitting him with a hammer? It's kind of morbid, but it's kind of a similar vein. It's almost like saying, God, don't lead me into temptation. It, I mean, God's not going to do that, right? According to James 1. It, it, why is he saying this? God's desire is that we would be hypersensitive to the temptations that draw us away from focusing on him. In fact, the word for temptation here is parasmos, and it's a neutral word. It doesn't define evil temptation. It doesn't define a good temptation. It's a neutral temptation. It's used for anything, anything, bad or good, that takes our focus and tempts us away from fellowship with him. And for some of us, that's our wall, right? The wall of distraction. Like every time we go to the Lord in prayer, it's like our mind is distracted by like a thousand things. And I deal with this, right? I think you guys probably deal with this. I was driving down the road the other day, and I was having this little prayer time. I had like five minutes between here and there. And so I turned the radio off, and I'm like, I just I need to pray about something. And I was praying, and then like right in the middle of my prayer, this, this came into my head. Call J.G. Wentworth, 877-CASH-NOW. <laughs> Where does that come from? And like all of a sudden, I'm humming the tune of J.G. Wentworth, 877-CASH-NOW. Like, how does that happen? Like, I'm praying, I'm talking to God Almighty, and a jingle comes in my head. I know how it happens. And if we're honest, you really know how distraction happens in your life. Because I allow so much in this brain that is the noise of the world. And I'm not just talking about bad things. I'm talking about social calendars, entertainments, to-do lists, hobbies, social media, the news, notifications, constant input into my life. And if I'm going to be real frank, for some of us, we don't even go to the bathroom without some form of entertainment in front of us. We are constantly bombarded with that stuff. No wonder it's so hard to hear from God. Yes, I live in this world, but I'm not of this world. So to be completely effective in this world, I have to disconnect from this world. That there are times in my life when I have to disconnect from things that don't last to connect to the one that does last. I must disconnect from all the temptations to gratify myself to connect to the one who brings glory to himself. Lord, clear out the distractions and the temptations that try their best to draw me away from you. It's so interesting, and I don't think it's a coincidence, that just three verses from this one, Jesus is going to talk about fasting. And I want to read these verses real quick. Verse 16 says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen, may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Now, let me be clear. The primary point of this little passage is basically this. Don't be a hypocrite. But look at the last part of verse 18. Look at the last thing Jesus says here about fasting. He says, and your father who sees in secret you fasting will reward you. So here's my question. What's the reward? What's the reward of fasting? I lose weight, right? I, I, I get to fit in that swimsuit in five months. That's not it. It's not the reward of fasting. The reward for fasting is focus. It's focus. Fasting is abstaining from some good gift of God to say to him, Oh God, I want you more than this thing. It's choosing to abstain or withdraw from earthly appetites like food in an intentional and concentrated effort to focus on God. By replacing that appetite with meaningful prayer. That fasting and prayer go together. In fact, fasting without prayer is really just a diet. It's fasting and prayer. And this is what Jesus is talking about. For some of us, we are so distracted in our prayer time. So he's saying here, hey, it's not just good appetites that we abstain from sometimes. It's also bad appetites that we abstain from all the time. Like, look at verse 13 again. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. And this is what's so powerful about that statement. He will do it. He is faithful to deliver you from evil. You have his assurance in that. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This, this, guys, is so important for us that we would not be distracted by this world, Whether whether it's good things in the world or whether it's bad things in the world, that we would not let a wall of distraction hinder our relationship, hinder our fellowship with God. The last wall that I want to talk about is, is, is a very sensitive wall. And for some of you, you're like, wow, all these have been pretty hard-hitting, but, but maybe this is the one that's gotten you today. It's the wall of unbelief. The wall of unbelief. And it's this, it's this question. Does God even hear my prayers? Does God even hear my prayers? Does he know? Does he really even know what's going on? Does he have the power to fix what's going on? Does he care? Does he really even care what's going on in my life right now? For some, man, the wall of unbelief is tall. It's very wide. That's distracting me a little bit. I'm sorry, Wes. Will you mind just cut that out? I, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Wes is here for me, man. But I, I just want us to focus in on this for just a minute. Think about this. The wall of unbelief. Does God really know what's going on? Does he really care what's going on? Does he really have the power to do 
what needs to be done. Have you ever struggled with this wall? I mean, it's crazy. We will read passages like Daniel in the lion's den and how God shut the mouths of hungry lions. Yet for some of you, if I'm going to be honest, for some of you, maybe you grew up as a kid praying that your parents would stay together. And they didn't. They didn't stay together. For some of us, man, we read stories about Jesus healing people. We read stories about apostles healing people. And we see these stories right in Scripture and we get excited when we read that. And yet we have people in our lives, loved ones, that we prayed for healing for them. And he's he's chosen not to heal them. Or maybe not heal them the way we thought he would. God parted the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea. He took Saul. He took Saul. Guys, I, I really believe this. I think it's from the enemy. Like the distractions that are going on right here and now. Sorry, I'm going to take a microphone here in case it's me. took Saul, blue, check, 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 hello, there we go, guys, he took Saul, someone who was out to kill Christians, literally on the way to kill Christians, and he changed his life, he turned him around. And honestly, for some of you, you've been praying for that wayward child for years. And for whatever reason, they're not there yet. I was in Nepal just a few few weeks ago, and I came across a young man who had uh, epilepsy. And he continued to have seizures. And one day... He just happened to be near a fire. He just happened to be there near a fire. And right in that moment had a seizure, fell into the fire. And this man has burns. This young man has burns all over his legs. And I remember praying for him. And I'm just being real with you. I remember praying for him. And, and, you know, we're on the mission trip. And I remember walking away from that man and just thinking, Lord, why, 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 why did you allow that? Like out of all the times to have a seizure, he had one when he was at the fire, and his life has become even more complicated. I think for a lot of us, like when we talk about prayer, it's this question, why didn't God answer my prayer? Why didn't God answer my prayer? Can I be honest with you? I don't know. That's, that's above my pay grade. All I know is how this prayer ends. Look at the very last part of verse 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
It's interesting, some of your Bibles might have this, might not, maybe it has a footnote. There's some debate as to whether this was actually a part of Matthew's writings or whether a scribe wrote it later. But nevertheless, isn't this a powerful way to end the prayer? Especially for those of us that struggle with unbelief. What a declaration. God, I may not know why you didn't answer my prayer the way I thought you should, but I do know this. That yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In Mark chapter 9, we have this little story of a father bringing his possessed mute son to Jesus. And it's interesting because when I was thinking about that young man in Nepal, this story kind of came into my heart and into my mind at the same time. I want to read this little portion here in verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us, Lord. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed. He exclaimed it. He yelled it. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Man, what a statement, right? What a raw and real statement is that. I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. And for some of us in this room, we, we grew up in church, or maybe you're new to the faith, you're a believer, and, and you really do believe, like you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You believe that he is all-loving. You believe he is all-powerful. You believe he knows the beginning from the end. You believe that, but there's, there's, there's this unbelief, this wall, because sometimes you look at a prayer situation, and you're like, Lord, why didn't you answer my prayer? And I love this because this is our prayer in those moments of not understanding. A faith that honors God. I do believe, Lord, help me un overcome my unbelief. That as much as you want what you want, and as right as you think it is, maybe God has something different in his overall plan for your life. That for some of us, man, it, what, it, what it really means for a lot of us is to say to this wall of unbelief, you know what, I still got my doubts. I still have things that are bothering me about the way you choose to operate sometimes, Lord. I still have those thoughts and those doubts. But I also believe, I believe in you, Jesus. Help me overcome this. And so even when we don't feel it, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it, we're choosing to say to God, I want to remove this wall of unbelief in my life. I want to get in here alone with you, Lord. And I just want to say out all of those doubts to you. I want to lay all of that down. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. 
You never stop working. And for some of you today, the wall of unbelief in your life needs to crumble. So which, which wall is blocking your prayer life? The solution for us, it's surrender. It's surrender. It's surrendering my hidden, hidden, unconfessed sin. It's this idea of repentance. It's surrendering my unforgiveness and my bitterness towards someone. It's surrendering my right to get even with them. It's surrendering my heart and my mind to focus on Christ and not the distractions of this world. It's surrendering my doubts and my disbelief to Him. And so I'm going to ask you on this last message. I know there's been so many distractions in the room this morning, but I believe God wants to say something to us. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask Miss Susie to come up. Susie is one of our prayer warriors here at the church. And, and here's our posture this morning. If the solution is truly surrender, if it's truly surrender, then I want us to surrender. The posture of surrender is a hand raised. And so maybe one of these walls, maybe you're dealing with one of these walls this morning. I'm going to ask you, whatever that, whatever that wall looks like, to surrender that over to God, to reconnect your prayer life to Him so that you can hear from Him and do His will. So if you're comfortable this morning with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I'm going to invite you during this prayer, if, if you have a wall in your life, to just go ahead and raise your hand and let's surrender that over to Him. Father God, we just come to you this morning, Lord. Lord, we're just overwhelmed by your presence and this powerful word that's been brought to us this morning, Lord. Father, I just pray that each one of us would just look inside ourselves, God. Your word tells us that it's a broken and contrite spirit that you desire in us, Lord. I just pray that we would all just humble ourselves before you, God that we would have clean hands and pure hearts before you, God. I pray for anyone in this room, Father, that's not a child of Jesus, that doesn't know Jesus, God. I just pray that your Holy Spirit, that the Father would be drawing them even now, Lord. I pray for anyone in this room, God, that is just overcome by some kind of besetting sin or just any other kind of sin in their lives, God. Just help us all to lay our sins down, God. Help us to be quick to confess our sins before you, Lord. Help us to just be on our faces before you, God, just with a spirit of humbleness. Help us to be in your word, Father, so that we know what grieves your heart, Lord. God, I just pray that a spirit of prayer would just break out in this place. God, we just pray for a move of your spirit like never before. And we just thank you, God. We just thank you. And I just pray, God, that every person in this room, that we would just know and experience the love of Christ for ourselves like never before, God. We pray for a spirit of unity in this church, God, that we would just be bound by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And I pray, God, that we would walk by the Spirit and not fulfill the desire of our flesh, God. And that you would just multiply the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we stand, as we stand, uh, as we stand and sing together, there's going to be prayer partners here at the front. Just do what God would have you do. If you need to pray with someone here at the front, you can. The altar is open. The stairs here are a great place to just kneel before God and just surrender. Whatever God has you do during this time, just be obedient.